0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hey church, open up your Bibles to First Peter chapter 3. We are in a very practical section of this short letter that Peter wrote to the early Christians. In this section, Peter is telling the Christians that they can be like Jesus in every relationship that they have. And he encourages them to take Jesus as their model and to live their lives in his steps. Well, this was very important for the early Christians because they lived in such a hostile environment that they had heavy persecution, even to the point of death. And even though you and I aren't in that same kind of an environment today, there is no doubt that we are under extreme pressure. And we feel that pressure financially, in the business community, within the medical community. We feel it within our own relationships, in our families, with our children. We feel it within our educational system. And as a result of that pressure, we also can feel like we have extra anxiety and uncertainty about the future. Well, Peter's words really apply to us today also. These words that you and I can be like Jesus and we can let him flow through us in some amazing, miraculous, unknown way, but yet see the result that Jesus has his hand on us to strengthen us and guide us and direct us. That's what Peter is talking about in this section. Well, what what Peter is really driving at right now that we're going to look at is how this happens within a marriage. Now, I know that many of you who are worshiping with us today are not married. And I want to encourage you to stay with Peter throughout this text because Peter is going to give us four keys that will help unlock the hearts of the people around us. And these keys could be used in any relationship, but he's going to hand two of these keys to wives, and two of these keys to husbands in particular, to help them to have a better relationship, to thrive in the hope that is theirs in Jesus Christ. But before we open up in this passage, let's set our mind on a couple of very important truths about what Christian marriage is. Christian marriage is a covenant of love. God designed that you and I would interact with each other as husbands and wives in such a way that there would be no doubt that we really loved each other, that we would have each other's best interests in mind, that we would sacrifice for each other and learn about each other. The very first time that we get a chance to see this is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where the scripture states, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now this idea about becoming one flesh is combining a man and a woman who are very different from each other in such a way in a relationship where their lives entwine around each other to where they can actually begin thinking as though they were one, living as though they were one, having the same priorities as though they were one person. Now, what's really exciting about the idea of this marriage is that the Holy Spirit who lives within us as husbands and wives, as Christians, that the Holy Spirit joins us in this marriage. And we actually have a three-in-one relationship. Just imagine that, God, a husband and a wife, together, wrapping their lives around each other in such a way that it creates a very strong relationship. And this relationship, in some way, is to mirror our relationship that we have with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That the love that God is is somehow seen in the relationships that we have with each other as husbands and wives, as our lives wrap around the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Now, Paul builds on this when he talks in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, when he looks at husbands and he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is execution language. Isn't it interesting that when Paul tells husbands to love their wives, what he tells them to do is to die to self. That, that sounds very familiar to us, doesn't it? About how we are to die to ourselves and pick up this new life of righteousness that is ours in Christ. And yet Paul really focuses the importance of dying to self on husbands. And he says, look, it's easy for you to fall into a routine, just kind of do whatever it is that you want to do, but you must really set yourself aside and learn what it is like to pick up the priorities of your wife so that she might be the single most important person to you in this covenant of love. The last scripture that I want to bring to your attention is the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is a love story between a husband and a wife and how they love each other back and forth. And theologians look on this love story as actually a love story between God and his people. So this very first, most important truth is that Christian marriage is a covenant of love and everything that we do is to express that love and nothing that God would ask us to do as husbands and wives would be demeaning, devaluing, harmful, hurtful, or abusive in any way, but is somehow connected with how we're supposed to love each other. Well, the second important truth is the truth that our relationship with Jesus somehow in Christian marriage expresses the relationship that Jesus has with the church, this great love that Jesus has. Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Paul uses this very same verse from Genesis. And then he reveals to us that Christian marriage is a model of how Jesus loves the church. He says this, A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Indeed it is, but I am talking about Christ and the church. You see, there's something more important in a Christian marriage and in marriage really in general than me just getting my needs or my wife getting her needs or us living in a great house or having a great experience or making sure that we have enough money or we have good cars or a great 401k. What God is telling us is that there is a greater story here there's a love story that we get to live out. And that love story is the love of Jesus that he has with his church. So as a husband, all husbands get to play the great lover in this love story and actually get to be in the place of Jesus. Now I know what you're probably thinking. There is no husband who is like Jesus. Yes, there is no husband who is like Jesus. We have our own foibles and our own problems. But even though that's true, Paul tells us that the model, the ideal, is for us to be the great lovers, that we're to initiate a relationship, that we're to embrace our wives, that we're to pursue our wives the way that Jesus pursues the church, and that the church is the great loved one. And so our wives are the great loved ones and they receive the love and they respond in joy and in peace and in harmony and in a love that gives them security and a sense of belonging. Well, this great second truth about how Christian marriage is a model of Jesus's love for the church lives also in a broken world. And we know that the ideal does not always happen, but yet God sets out for us these two important truths that we will use as an interpretive grid to take a look at what Paul is, or Peter is talking about in 1 Peter chapter 3. But before we turn our attention there, I want to give you these truths that are going to be really important as we consider what Peter asks us to do. The first is that your faith can take you beyond what you can do on your own. The second is that your faith will take you all the way into the promises of God. And the third is the promise of God in this passage is for you to be more like Jesus and to live that out in the intimacy of your marital relationship. So let's turn our attention to 1 Peter chapter 3. But before I read this first verse, I need to talk to you about the word that seems most offensive to us within the Western world. And it is the word Submit. Now, after taking a look at these two great and important truths, we know that this word is not supposed to be a bad word. This is a word that God intends for us to somehow see as positive and valuable. So how is it? Because we tend to look on this as dominating and taking away a person's voice and making them do whatever it is that they don't want to do. And we know that that's not true. That's not what Peter means. That's not what God means when he uses this verse. And he uses this word. So I, I just wanna say that maybe we need to set that word aside and let's talk about the meaning behind what this word is trying to convey. So I have selected this word, cooperation, that the first key that a wife can use to unlock her husband's heart is cooperation. Now, there are lots of problems with that word because it's not exactly the one-for-one one correlation because we don't have an exact way that we could talk about this in the English language with just one word. So this is a word about cooperation and deference and stepping back and letting somebody else have the lead and making sure that somebody else gets a voice and me making sure that I'm supporting somebody. It's almost like we need a little bit of a paragraph to talk about this. And you, you get... What, what this word is talking about, that this is a word that is rich with high regard and love and care in a relationship. Well, let's read what Peter wrote about this very first key about unlocking our husbands' hearts with cooperation. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Well, Peter is talking specifically to women who are married to men who have not named the name of Jesus. And yet this idea of submission is going to come up a little bit later for all Christian women. And what God is saying here is that there is something about the way that you lean into your husband in such a way that he will be able to embrace you a little bit more easily. And so I just want to ask you, how is that possible when we take a look at this idea of submission? So let's take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verses five through seven. And in this passage, I think we see the power of this idea of deference and cooperation and stepping back and giving somebody else a voice by taking a look at Jesus himself This is the passage that I like to refer to as the great emptying. In Philippians chapter two, verse five, Peter writes that we are to have this attitude in ourselves that was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. This idea of emptying himself is really intriguing to me. Why would Jesus do that? You know, Jesus could have come with all the angels and all the regalia and all the garb and come down in um, this amazing light and color and sound, but he didn't do that. He came and wrapped himself in human form and was very humble. Do you know that Jesus probably didn't say everything that he thought? That Jesus held back his comments to people? that he let people step up and he heard their hearts and he heard what they had to say. You see, the great emptying made him non-threatening. I think that's what Peter's getting at that this emptying of ourselves, this this idea that you are important, this idea that I want to help you and I want to give you a voice and I want to lean into you allows for people to know that they are valued in a fallen world where we tend to grab power and want to use it for ourselves. And what Peter is saying to wives is he's saying, be non-threatening. Do the relationship with your husband in such a way that he sees that you really love and care about him and you don't actually trigger him into some kind of a fight. Now, it's not your responsibility to make sure that he's perfectly fine, but what Peter is saying here is, hey, be aware that this is a key to your husband's heart. The second key that is a part of this passage to unlock your husband's heart is the key of character. Hear what Peter has to say, starting in verse three. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair or the wearing of gold, jewelry, and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master, You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. When you take a look at the importance of character, you can see that who we are on the inside, according to God, is more important than who we are on the outside. And we can be easily duped into believing that if I look a certain way and I appear a certain way, then I have a certain kind of value. If I have a certain kind of lifestyle, I have a certain kind of a value. But Jesus is asking us to be like him. I don't know if you know this, but in Isaiah chapter 53, in the suffering servant passage, Isaiah remarked that Jesus had nothing about his appearance that would draw us to him. He was just a regular, plain sort of a person. But it was the character of God, life inside of him that just splashed on everybody else that was so incredibly attractive to those who were interested in him. And I'm going to assume that your husband is interested in you. And when you splash the character of God, this very character of Christ all over on him, it's going to catch his attention because you're splashing mercy and grace and kindness. And you're listening and you're helping him and you're encouraging him. And as a result of that, it's going to turn his attention to you because he knows that you have his best interest in mind. I want to remind you of something that I said earlier. Your faith can take you beyond what you can do on your own. Your faith can take you all the way into the promises of God. And the promise of God right here is not that you're going to have the most fabulous marriage, not that you're going to have a conflict-free relationship, but the promise here is that you can be like Jesus. And when you are like Jesus, you have an opportunity to draw the people to you that love you and care about you. You have to see it through the eyes of faith and take the risk to want to put that into practice. Well... Let's talk about the husband here. There are keys to your wife's heart, gentlemen, and these keys might be just as difficult for you to do as the keys of cooperation and character that God is telling your wives to focus on. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Well, there are two keys that are here, the keys of intimacy and honor. If I were to restate this in kind of our vernacular, I would say this, husbands, you need to make sure that you learn who your wives are. You need to make sure that you know what's important to her. You need to flex and bend and move with her. She's a moving target. Oh, she might change her opinion and you need to keep up with those opinions. She might change what the priority is because she loves so many people and she moves around trying to figure out what is the very best way that she can love somebody. And you need to keep up with that rather than criticize her. You need to know what her special color is and what her special flower is and what her special day is. And when she changes them, even if she doesn't tell you, don't get mad. What you want to do is reach out into her and you want to study her. This this idea here about... Being considerate with our wives means that we're going to learn about them and we're going to spend a lifetime learning about them. And we have to make sure that they keep teaching us more and more about themselves because husbands tend to fall into routines. What we like to do is keep things pretty simple and we like to have things without a lot of surprises. And I guess what I would say to you is that we get surprised by some of these changes that happen within our marriage. And we don't always react really, really well to that. And what Peter is saying here is get ready and you just keep being a learner about your wife because you won't get her completely figured out at all, but you have to keep with her so that you can understand what is incredibly important to her. Why? Well, then he goes on and he says that you have to treat her with respect. And this idea means of high status is that you learn who she is so that you can raise her up and you can honor her that you can keep her in high esteem within your heart so that your heart stays soft to her. Your wife is the single most important person in your life. And as a result of raising her up, you keep your heart soft to her and you talk to her in ways that have high value and high regard. Now, every man knows exactly what it means to honor somebody else. It means that we listen to them. It means that we care about what they care about. It means that we pay attention to what is important to them. And I would even say this, we would cooperate with them, even if we disagree with them, but we know that they have some really good ideas, that we would want to lay down our own preferences and be able to hear what somebody else has to say. Oh, this could be just as difficult for husbands to do as what Peter is asking wives to do, because we must elevate and raise up our wives in our own heart and not make fun of them, not demean them, not consider that their emotions or their thoughts are not worthy in some way, but that we listen and we mind and we hear. And as a result of that, we raise them up and we elevate them. Remember that this is a covenant of love. This is a covenant of a story that is bigger than us and that our own reactions as husbands are really a reflection of our faith and our belief in who Jesus is. You see, what Peter is saying is be like Jesus. Jesus studies you, men. He knows who you are. He knows what, what is important to you in your heart. And he interacts with you in ways that you know you can be connected with him. And not only that, but he respects you and he honors you as his sons, as the people who are so important that he died for you. And then he says, go, go into your marriage and go into the world and you study people. You make sure you know who they are. You make sure that you're relating to who are who they really are and what is important to them and you esteem and you honor them within a a whole country that devalues people and in a culture that right now is so polarized that sometimes it's hard to find honor and respect and you are the one who leads in honor and in respect of people and your wife. Well, if you don't do this, Peter has some strong words for you. They're found nowhere else in scripture. He says that if you do not learn who your wives are, If you do not honor your wives, your prayers can be hindered. That's a pretty strong statement. You see, God is really serious about handing you these keys so that you can use them to unlock your wife's heart. Because as you get to know her and as you esteem her, her heart gets softer to you because our world makes our hearts hardened. And if we don't do that, then we could actually have our wives become more hard-hearted to us. You see, what what Peter's telling us is that it is sinful for us not to do this because our sin is the only thing that would block our prayers. And so we must die to ourselves. We must walk in Jesus's steps. We must take Ephesians 5.25 to heart and sacrifice. And we must learn who our wives are so that we could help them to be our joint heirs in this amazing life, in this amazing love story in a covenant of love. Well, let's just bring this down to three main application points. And the first point that I want to bring to you is that of prayer, that you and I need to approach God and say to him, please make me more like Jesus. Please help me to live my life in such a way that I'm able to have cooperation and character and intimacy and honor. And for those of you that are not married, I would say even in all of your relationships that these will help you to unlock the hearts of those that are around you. But you have to be like Jesus and non-threatening. You have to take the Philippians passage, Philippians chapter two, put that into your life so that you can go out into the world with all your gifts and your talents and your strengths and your abilities and they will be used for the betterment of the people that you are with. And I even wanna suggest that husbands and wives would pray for each other, that they would have God grow within each other's lives. But even more than that, that you would even pray for yourself in front of your spouse and say, Lord, just really help me, help me to cooperate, help me to have character, help me to have intimacy, help me, Lord, to be able to have honor so that we can have the kind of a marriage that you would really like for us to have. Well. The next thing that I'd like for you to do is to go ahead and evaluate how well you are doing in these characteristics. Now, I know that not everybody is in the very best relationship. And I want to say that it is not okay for you to be in a relationship that is abusive, that God would not want that. And if you are right now evaluating and you're thinking, oh my goodness, no matter what happens, I really need to talk to somebody about what my relationship is like. I want you to go ahead to that prayer link and and select it and write, hey, I would really like to have a pastoral care minister contact me just to talk to me about my marriage and what I need to do in order to move forward, to be like Jesus, to be safe, and to have the kind of intimacy that God would want for me to have. So each of us needs to evaluate where we are at. Peter doesn't say, evaluate your spouse. He's just looking at each of us to say, how are you doing? And so I would ask you, how are you doing? And what could you do more of that you know would be helpful? And the last thing, step number three, is for you to get some help. Now, it's not uncommon for people to be stuck where they are. I mean, we live in a hard world. We live in a world that pushes on us, in a world that stalls us. And it is not shameful to not know what to do. It's not shameful to run into a wall and not know how to get over it. And so you may need to get some help. You may need to talk to some friends or even use that prayer link in order to say, hey, I need to talk to somebody about how to get my marriage unstuck so that we can move on forward. And I want you to consider what you need to do to move forward so that you can begin to experience more thriving in your relationship that you have with each other. Marriage is a fantastic experience as we learn how to love each other in deeper and richer ways. Let us ask God to bless us, to be able to be like Jesus in our relationships with each other. Lord, we thank you so much for this truth. We thank you for giving us such straightforward language. And we simply ask that you will help for us to put that into practice, that you will make us more like Jesus so that the whole world can see the love story that you have for them. And for those of us that are married, Lord, help for us to die to ourselves, that we might pick up life and love our spouses even better today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's keep singing praises to our Lord.